Strong voices. It's not just about one state. It's not just about one community. It's about all of our communities. The issues that face Indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political order. I am here and now, and I speak my language. I practice my cultural essence of me. What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialised logics are inscribed upon our bodies and to critically examine them in order to change it. The government's changed, but we're going to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years and I don't think we're going to go anywhere. What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people. A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Hey, good morning. Carl Dowling back with you once again for Strong Voices. We're coming to you from the Calm Radio studios here in Ubuntu Alice Springs on R&D Country here in the Red Centre. We're broadcasting right across the country on uh, Vast Channel 911. We're also coming to you online uh, via the Karma website at uh, www.karma.com.au. Uh, it's the middle of the working week. It's Wednesday, the 9th of October, 2019. I'm your host, Kyle, and you'll have my company all the way up until uh, 12 o'clock today. We're coming up on Strong Voices. Uh, this Thursday is World Mental Health Day, which is a time for education, awareness and advocacy about the stigma surrounding mental well-being. We're going to be hearing from a uh, former uh, Australian Rugby League player about uh, some of the work that he does within the space and talking about mental health. Uh, we're going to be hearing from Joe Williams today. Uh, we're also going to be heading across to Queensland to hear, to hear about a program which uh, aims to address inequality and share women's ideas in a forum setting. Also, we're going to hear about uh, how the practice of yarning circles could perhaps help Aboriginal people engage with the health system. And we're as well, of course, going to be hearing the latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country as well here on Strong Voices. Before all of that, though, we are going to go to a track and then we'll be right back with our first story. Hey Mob, this is Patrick Johnson and you're listening to Strong Voices. Be deadly and stay deadly. Well, this Thursday, the 10th of October, marks World Mental Health Day, which is a time to open up about discussions around mental health and discuss the stigma faced by uh, mental illness. Joe Williams was uh, an NRL player and later became a professional boxer, but uh, despite his uh, both his careers within the fields being quite uh, prominent and well, uh, he did suffer from uh, mental health issues and concerns and actually attempted suicide in 2012. Uh, Joe then later took control of his life and actually travels around the world educating others about suicide prevention and mental well-being. He's also the author of... Uh, the book Defying the Enemy Within, which uh, shares his story. Karma's Damien Williams starts off by asking Joe about uh, the struggles that he faced. It's had a massive effect my entire life. Um, you know, as a, as a young person, I was navigating my way as a young teenager, you know, through through life. And I guess hindsight plays a fantastic part that you know, I can I can sit back now and, and say what I did and, and how I could have done things better. But you know, I, I did the absolute best I could uh, with, the, with the things that I had at the time. And, um, you know, I, I'm lucky that it, 
everything that I've done and even the misfortune that I've had, it's put me in a position to be able to do what I do now, which is about helping people who struggle with their mental health. And it is a subject that is pretty hard to talk about and, you know, um, even talking about um, telling people and going through it with people that have tried to attempt to take their life, you know, how did it? How did you get through and what sort of things did you do to cope? You know, I, I had my suicide attempt in 2012. Um, it took me... It took me till 2014 to be able to speak openly about it um, with with people, um, and you know because it was uh, still fairly fairly confronting. So you know, for me, it was uh, it, it's been a place of uh, of growth over over many years. But you know, the the most important thing that comes from it is the the comfortability now to be able to go out and and talk in communities and, you know, help people to understand what it's like for someone who who struggles with their mental health. And, and it isn't about understanding me. It is about helping relay the message that people who struggle, struggle to communicate. So um, it's about showing people firsthand uh, how how tough it is inside the mind of someone who's troubled mentally, um, which then helps to break down and start conversations in communities to be able to help us understand a bit more um, what the, what what someone who's struggling in tough times is going through. And Joe, how important is it for you know those people around um, someone like that to to see the little signs or just even talk to someone and just ask them how they're going? Yeah, it's hugely important because you know if we talk about this thing called stigma, stigma isn't out in community where people are going to judge us. What stigma is? The stigma is is something that sits inside the mind of someone that tells them that they don't matter, tells them that they're worthless, tells them that they're not worthy. Um, That's what stigma is. You know, it it judges us and convinces us that we're not well. Um, So it's important for people to be able to understand what it's like for somebody going through that and the importance of reaching out to someone when they're going through these tough times. And Joe, you played for three NRL clubs between 2004 and 2008. Uh, during that time, how tough was it to balance, you know, the demands of being a an, an athlete, um, an elite athlete, versus everything you were going through internally and the struggles that you were facing? It was it was a struggle, you know, and and, and why it was a struggle is because I was. I was using substance to quieten it all down. You know, I was using alcohol and drugs as the Band-Aid uh, with what was going on inside my head where, um, you know, once, once, once I, got, I got clean and sober, um, you know, almost 14 years ago now, that's when the noise really started. That's when it, that's when it, 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 it got to its worst because it's, you know, it, it inflamed everything. It made everything... 10 times worse where what I was doing for so long was quietening it down with, with, with the alcohol and drugs whilst I was playing in the NRL. Um, 
So, you know, it was putting it on the back burner a little bit. But then, you know, I, I get sober, um, and and that's when I realised that, you know, maybe, maybe I am going through some tough times. Maybe, you know, that's when, you know, I, I started to reach out to, you know, and got some got some help with a psychologist and, and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and, you know, those sort of things. So it was... It was a constant, constant battle. But, you know, in the early times during my career, uh, I was using substance to quieten it down. And did the did the boxing help with that kind of um, mental sort of stability as well and, and, and trying to fight that battle within as well at the same time? The boxing, boxing taught me how to, boxing taught me how to, how to fight mentally. Boxing taught me how to stand in the face of adversity and get through tough periods. You know, as a, as a rugby league player, when times were tough, I probably shirked away a little bit. I wasn't mentally strong. Um, where as a boxer, you know, as a boxer, I began to search deep within myself in those tough times because you're standing inside the ring. You have to fight back. You know, you you, you don't fight back, or you don't you don't. You, you don't gain some resilience in those sort of situations. You end up with a black eye real fast, you know. So for me, it was it was about uh, you know building some resilience and some some mental toughness. So if I'm honest uh, in 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 what I say, what boxing has done for me, boxing has taught me how to live. Boxing has taught me how to fight back and 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 gain some resilience and some and some t- um, you know build some real mental toughness in times of adversity and really be able to pick yourself up up off the ground well you have to you know like I, I, I guess it was my competitive nature um, as as a sports person I had too much pride to get beat so I would do absolutely everything I possibly possibly could to you know fight in those tough times and you know, I didn't want to get beat as a boxer, so I'd work my backside off, and training physically helped me do that. You know, because the the fitter you are as a boxer, the you know the more opportunities you put yourself into, you know, um, you know, get it, being in a good position to to get the win. But um, you know, boxing, like li- quite literally, countless times, I had to pick myself up off the ground. Um, you know, in those tough times of, of of getting punched in the mouth, and you know, when when you get when you get knocked down as a boxer, you, you ask yourself some questions. You know, do I really want to do this, or, or am I really tough enough to get through this? Or you know, in these tough times when someone's you know someone's got you backed against in into the corner, am I tough and strong enough to fight out of this tough time? Yeah, and that sounds like that real sort of mental battle between you and your mind. Yeah, it is, and that's again that that builds that resilience. And, and Joe, now how is uh, how are you going now? What's uh, on the cards for Joe in two thousand nineteen? The, the constant work that I do in communities, um, you know, out, out in communities and and you know, constantly right around the country. Um, you know, I recently just got back from America where my book was released over in America, and um, you know, the book's having great impact in, in a lot of communities because of you know it's relatable to people. Um, so it, it's just about you know spreading the message more and, and about starting conversations. You know, in communities, it isn't about me and my story it's about everyone else's story and you know helping 
giving communities not the, not, the, not the tips and tools because we know the tips and tools to be able to help ourselves. It's empowering our communities to start the conversations and normalise it a little bit. And and how important is it for, you know, people out there to realise that, you, um, you know, there are other people going through this thing too and to be able to talk about it? Well, it's better that we, that we do them than we don't. You know, because when we when we do talk about it, it really reduces um, it reduces the pain of what we're going through. And um, you know, when we when we tend to lock it up a little bit, we we struggle. Um, you know, deep down, and you know, it just compounds in our own heads. So it's important to be able to talk about these things. And so, Joe, what is? Well, I mean, it is hard to ask the question, sort of, what's your advice? I mean, everyone goes through different things and, and um, comes through it differently. But could you tell us a bit about some of the things, um, a bit of advice for those people who are struggling with this themselves? You know, everyone everyone's situation is different, um, but it's probably universal, the things that we can connect to that help us to get well. Um, you know, for a long time, you know, we've been we've been shying away from exercise a little bit. You know, exercise creates the natural endorphins in our brain that helps us be well. Um, so, you know, the more we exercise and the more we eat healthy, um, it's the, 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 it's putting us on that positive path to to be the best we can. So, you know, I'm not, I'm I'm not saying that that'll be a fix, but what I am saying is that's giving us the best possible opportunity to be well. You know, and 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 talk about it. You know, start to start to to reach out and 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 get some professional help around this sort of stuff. Because you know, there, there is some highly trained uh, professionals in in many of our communities now um, that 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 you know do fantastic work around helping people in tough times. So um, you know, exercise, diet, um, and and doing things for people. You know, a lot of what I talk about in our communities is about changing our lifestyle into not doing things for ourselves, but doing things for others. The more we do things for others, the more appreciative we get of our own lives and the more gratitude we hold. Um, and, you know, it, it shows a bit of empathy towards other people as well. So, um, you know, the key things I, I say to people is make sure that we do things for others and uh, exercise and diet well, um, you know, essentially they can be some, some big steps into moving forward. On that note, uh, Joe Williams, thanks very much for joining us here on Karma Radio. It's always a pleasure, brother. Thanks very much and big love to everyone uh, up there in, in, in the Territory and, and, and all around the place um, in the Karma Network. That was uh, Joe Williams, author of Defying the Enemy Within, who uh, goes around and shares his story in, in, the, uh, in assisting others in regards to talking about suicide prevention and mental well-being. He was speaking there with Karma's Damien Williams. We're going to be hearing soon uh, about a forum that happened in Townsville very soon. But before then, we are going to head to a track and then we'll be right back. This is Kathy Freeman. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Yes, welcome back to Strong Voices. Well, a three-day program which gives First Nations women 
a forum to share ideas and develop strategies to tackle inequality through political engagement is currently underway in Townsville. Straight, Straight Talk facilitator Michelle De Jong says the forum empowers the First Nations women to become effective advocates for change and to lobby decision makers on the issues that matter to them, the issues that are affecting their families and communities. Basically, the program got set up um, to talk about ways that we can engage Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women in political conversations, uh, understanding the political process and, um, you know, thinking about the way that women tend to lead change. And so Straight Talk is an opportunity to bring women together, create a space for them to do that and, you know, I guess address some of the issues and processes that we never really get a lot of time to do in our day-to-day lives. Women living remotely are deserving and need to have a voice. Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of people do feel like there's a great disconnect between what happens in Canberra and its impact in regional Australia. But, you know, as we know, that uh, our parliament is made up of representatives all across the country and it's really important to make sure that we have those regional and remote voices uh, where we can. And so, for me, it's that conversation, even if we look at the results of the last election, conversations about whether people are engaging in political um, participation, whether they're kind of looking at the policies of each of the parties, uh, how that impacts their their day-to-day lives, really. And so, you know, uh, up here in Townsville, Herbert has been a very marginal seat and we've seen different changes over the years. Uh, But, you know, it's largely populated by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and I think it's really important for us to have voice and and be seen in, in some of those critical conversations. And for women to begin to understand that the way whitefella politics works, uh, it is about votes. Politicians obviously are there to uh, sound good to their electorate, but at the same time, they have to be well aware of, there is a, a sizable First Nations population in, in many electorates uh, that haven't been heard. Well, that's right. And I think that's probably one of the issues of our political system is um, even though we are minority in numbers, is there uh, an opportunity for power and influence in different ways in some of that political space? Uh, you know, and, and even that's one of the conversations we have is whether our mob even know that how their vote gets counted, who are they putting up as their candidates and things like that because, uh, you know, we, we've only had two Indigenous women in the Queensland Parliament, uh, one of which is going to join us this week, Cynthia Louie. Uh, But, you know, even that in itself is um, learning lessons out of people who've gone through that process and and seeing how we can increase those numbers into the future. There was a a national poll done by the ABC about uh, how Australians, and presumably that includes the First Nations, uh, are faring, how they feel about their day-to-day lives, their communities. And one of the interesting things in areas that have the largest Indigenous populations, there seems to be very little connect between how the First Nations are living, and uh, I'm talking about the more remote regions of the country, as compared to the city life, and the aspects of how does that disconnect from what most average Aussies think is a normal way of life. I mean, we are talking uh, in many remote communities of a huge disconnect that many other Australians aren't really aware of. And it revolves around a whole range of issues, many of which I'm sure that the mob who are attending will be talking about. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, um, in Indigenous affairs, we're always talking about some of those really critical challenges uh, that exist for our mob, and particularly regional and remote um, issues are high on that agenda. 
I guess, uh, again, some of that comes down to understanding where your levels of influence are and also being a bit more critical of the political parties and some of their policy positions, you know, that uh, how are some of those positions assisting Indigenous peoples, but also even some of those fundamental things about day-to-day cost of living and, you know, certainly uh, in regional Australia we know that simple things like freight and access to fresh food and all of those kind of things really impact people's lives. And so how do we how do we make a space to have conversations and to influence the parties to actually put good policy together for that implementation? But more importantly, also just thinking about it doesn't necessarily just have to be that formal political stuff, but how do we engage in, in a powerful position and advocacy as a collective group of people? And, you know, for me, part of bringing women together is a way of uh, enabling that to happen. If we go back a few months to uh, Carrie-Ann Kennelly's uh, depiction of, uh, you know, what was happening to First Nations women and children, that certainly uh, fired up a large part of the non-Indigenous community against blackfellas. I'm wondering how those sort of comments react within community and how women react to that. Well, I take a very particular stance on on things like that. And, you know, I guess uh, Indigenous communities um, have a number of different challenges that include some of those systemic issues of um, domestic violence and poverty and and other things. But, you know, for me, the challenge is that's not our story and it shouldn't be the only story that we ever get to see on the national stage because the flip side of that is really positive examples of people doing amazing things um, you know, we've got excellent stories of good governance and strong leadership, uh, particularly led by women. And so I think that continuing to go back to those stories really takes away from the positive and the advanced kind of position that women have been able to lead. It doesn't mean that those issues are not important, but part of tackling those issues has to be a community-led solution. And I think that sometimes that's the part that gets overlooked uh, because you know, people kind of don't appreciate the complexity of all of that kind of level of government and bureaucracy and process that has to go to making community change. And so this is a chance for women to think about that differently, I guess. Uh, you know, but, but for me, I think there's great stories and certainly Straight Talk has produced a number of great stories about women who've been motivated to go and seek change back in their own communities as a result of doing this program. Michelle, a big issue, mental health and well-being in, in many regional and remote communities, acknowledging and understanding that, uh, again, the solutions have to come from within community, but women in particular play a, a massive role in caring and nurturing people who may be suffering from an illness and uh, often not paid or even recognised for the effort that goes in in that particular area. Yeah, that's right. I mean, one of the conversations that we do have, I mean, we're not just focusing on the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander issues here. We're certainly looking at some of the issues around gender equality as well. So, you know, and how does that impact um, Indigenous women when you're kind of putting layers of culture and gender into the conversation? So um, just like uh, lots of women in community... Aboriginal women do take on a lot of those caring roles, um, a lots of unpaid work um, or even pay inequalities. For a lot of us, we never get the time to kind of work out what that means for us and where our particular positions of influence or opportunity exist in, in changing that conversation and 
even simply in the workplace, how do you have different conversations about the way that women are engaged and promoted and uh, represented? So, you know, I think gender equality is certainly a big part of what we we talk about over the next couple of days. As you've said, there are some great stories, but uh, for women to understand that they do have a big story to tell and, and helping them understand that to, in today's world of multimedia now, there are many great avenues to share their story about their community. Absolutely, and that's one of the things I absolutely love about Straight Talk, you know. There's nothing greater than bringing a bunch of Indigenous women together and, and getting us into a space where we get to share some of those fantastic stories and, and, importantly, celebrate each other's success, you know, because we see too much of the deficit conversation. And so, you know, I love the next couple of days on social media. I'm sure we'll, we'll tell lots of those stories about the women that are engaged in this, but also... You in many ways, they're the silent heroes in the history of our nation. We need to celebrate that and really uh, support each other going forward. Straight Talk facilitator uh, Michelle DeJong there ending that report from Karma's Paul Wiles. We're going to be hearing the latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from around the country with that segment coming up shortly. What's up? You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. <laughs> Yes, well, now it's that time again for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from around the country here on Strong Voices. I'm very happy to say I've got uh, Damien Williams joining me in the studio. Good morning, Damien. Good morning, Kyle, and good morning to all our listeners. Well, Damien, I understand you have a story this morning in regards to a uh, Aboriginal entrepreneur hub or hub for Aboriginal entrepreneurs. Yeah, um, budding Torres Strait Islander and Aboriginal business people will be able to access entrepreneurial services at South Australia's premier innovation neighbourhood. Um, the uh, Aboriginal Entrepreneur Hub, AEH, will be established at Lot 14, the new innovation hub in the CBD of Adelaide, South Australia, by the end of the year. Um, The AEH will offer a range of free programs designed to bolster First Nations participation in South Australia's startup sector. After being approved in May and allocated $3 million in Australian government federal funding, as part of the Indigenous business sector strategy. Um, so the um, it will also establish, in conjunction with the Adelaide City deal, a 10-year plan designed um, foster South Australian innovation and its accompanying workforce as well. So, um, and the a the AEH participants will have a have part of their fees subsidised to participate in the Lot 14's establishment incubator and accelerator programs and networking opportunities. So, yeah, a great um, new space for budding entrepreneurs, Aboriginal and Islander people that want to start up businesses to go and um, uh, do some workshops and stuff and, yeah, get get straight into it. It's really good to see the different avenues of support that we're seeing sort of coming out now within that space of supporting, uh, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people with their startups, whatever their businesses may be. I got the opportunity um, to speak with uh, Dean Foley, the CEO of 
Bariyama, which is actually an organisation, which is it's a uh, Indigenous business accelerator. So it's you know about getting those businesses off the ground mm. and the startups as well. And actually, sort of tying in quite well with that, that you know they were doing a demo day um, later this month, I think on the 25th of October, where they're actually going to be you know showcasing some businesses and uh, you know potentially attracting some investors as well while they're doing that whole experience but it was great to hear the diversity of the businesses i think as well when i was talking to dean you know there was uh, multiple ones that are involved in the tech industry there's mm. ones in fashion there was tourism yeah. there was uh, different uh, sort of ones in the culinary industry as well and and great to see i think once you have that support out there i think it's going to allow more mob to want to get involved in that space because i mean I can imagine it would be quite a daunting experience, you know, yeah. starting up that business. But to have mob there and, and supporting you who understand that, that difficulty within that space and, and just being able to mob, obviously, participating within the economy, yeah, I think I think helps a lot. And exactly, like, and, you know, there's going to be new ideas from that side of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, you know. We all know that um, our thoughts and, and, and processes and stuff like that are different um, to the wider community and you know there'll be more different kind of new ideas and stuff like that mm. and you know um, yeah just I reckon it's just going to be a great opportunity to to have new innovations and businesses and, and all that kind of stuff just pop up it's going to be cool and hopefully inspiring the younger generations as well I think it's I think you know you have to be able to sort of see the mob in that space involved in that area and then that helps you know sort of help helps people to think you know this is a potential pathway for me as well i think yeah exactly and like yeah it'll just open up a whole new range of um ideas and and areas in which aboriginal trust or other people can really really go into as well which is awesome well on that note damien thanks for joining us for the news around the country thank you we're going to go to a track now, and then we'll be right back with our final story. Hi, my name's Aaron Pedersen, and you're listening to Come Radio, Strong Voices on 18 FM. Yes, that's right. You're listening to Strong Voices, where we're going to head into our final story of the show. Well, the Yarning Circle is a place where stories and knowledge can be shared in a relaxed and comfortable place, which is often preferred by some Aboriginal people. And this particular format of Yarning Circle is actually being used to discuss Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health at the Australian Public Health Conference in Adelaide. This form of discussion is helping to actually advocate Indigenous health priorities and is actually looking to get those Indigenous voices within those discussions around health policy decisions that actually impact Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Public Health Association Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Vice President, Summer May Finlay, spoke with the wise uh, Catherine Andrews and she explained why the yarning circles are important to push health needs. We know that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have poorer health outcomes. We also know that they're often marginalised in their own country. As an Aboriginal woman, I know perfectly well that the statistics aren't great. They're reflected in my own family. So we are seeing a lot of investment in Aboriginal health, but we're not necessarily seeing the return in terms of the improvement in health and wellbeing for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So the conversations need to continue. We need to be hearing from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people about what's going to work for our communities. We know our communities better than anybody else, and we need to be making sure that the conversations are led by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, which is why the inclusion of the yarning circle is so important. What are the strengths that have been shown for Indigenous health over the last 50 years or, or even 20 years? 
Strengths haven't been a focus until recently, to be honest. There are two strengths that really spring to mind. One of them is culture. So when people think about our culture, because of the negative stereotyping, particularly through media and hopefully not through your media, we find that people don't recognise that culture is such a strength. And what is happening is when you take what they call a cultural determinants approach, we're finding that communities are healing and getting better. So when people are returning to culture, when they're actually connecting to country, when they're actually participating in a community structure their health and well-being is being supported and they're no longer isolated because their isolation is one of the risk factors for poorer health outcomes. The other thing is our connection to each other, which is really important. When we think about Western cultures, it's all about the nuclear family and about individualism, whereas Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures traditionally have been collective. And so that is a strength because each of us are so connected to each other. And one of the things that motivates Aboriginal people the most is actually an understanding of how our own health issues are actually impacting on our community and our future generations. So for example when you think about smoking um, one of the things that's motivating people to give up smoking is wanting to be around to support their family for their grannies, their grandchildren. I mean this is about being there and caring for country and caring for our children and passing on knowledge and so our connectedness is a huge strength within our communities. One of the things I know as an Aboriginal woman when I'm out in a community I know if I'm in trouble or I need something, if there's other Aboriginal people around, I'm going to be able to get support from them. You don't get that necessarily in a broader society in Australia. So what more needs to be done for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health? What I would say needs to be done is that we actually need non-Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander policymakers in this country and also NGOs and everybody else involved in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health to actually work genuinely in partnership with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and communities. Often what we find is that policies are developed in isolation of Aboriginal people or often at best what they've done is some general consultation and that consultation findings are then taken to a broader group which is non-Aboriginal where the decisions are made. People can't continue to make decisions about Aboriginal communities without actively engaging with Aboriginal people in an equal level. So there needs to be power sharing and power balance. And that's really hard for people, particularly politicians and policymakers who are charged with a role. They see their role as being responsible for this, but now having to shift that power balance means that it's challenging the way things have always been done. But it can be done and I think it will be done and it just is going to take some time. That was Public Health Association Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Vice President, uh, Summer May Finlay's ending that report from the wise uh, Catherine Andrews. That's going to uh, mark the end of Strong Voices for this Wednesday morning. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you missed any of the stories or wanted to listen back to uh, any of the interviews, you can make sure you can head to the CAM website for those. That's uh, www.karma.com. I'll also be posting up a podcast of uh, the entire program up on Karma's SoundCloud as well. Uh, Also, thanks to our special guests who joined us on the program as well. We'll be back the same time tomorrow.